Blog Talk Radio. Yes, they did. 
All right. Now, I guess we can start with that, but once again, go to uh, Facebook.com slash Fanatic Radio. Also, check out the podcast on iTunes, because we have a good show on hand. Puck Daddy Greg Wyshynski mm. joins us for an interview about the uh, 50-50 proposed lockout and what happened. Actually, pretty much the NHL, it was uh, up and down, ebb and flow. So like the stock market this week in results of uh, player contracts. We will discuss more of the Lance Armstrong saga, which broke on Wednesday, and we'll get to uh, Flo and I's highlight of the week, which was more like last weekend, which was a, a, a so-called daredevil jumping from space. But you mentioned the 49ers, so I guess we'll start with football. I see uh, last night on Sports Zone we uh, mentioned about how your pack are coming back as you're donning the Green Bay Packers hat yeah, today. Yeah. They went down, down to Houston and won? Yep. So they uh, gave the Texans their first loss of the season. Uh, yes. They, uh, the Texans have been Land of feed team left in the AFC, and Green. I really was not expecting a win at all. I thought we were going to get a solid, or not a solid beat down. I thought didn't think we were going to win. But uh, you mentioned the Packer back. Of course, they've had sort of a rocky season. But after last Sunday's game, Aaron Rodgers breaks tying his own, tying a record set by backup quarterback Ben Matt Flynn yes. last year. Yep. What uh, makes you think the Packer back? Uh, I think the Packers are back. I think. They had a really disappointing uh, loss the week before against Indianapolis. They fell apart in the second half. And you saw the whole team looking together. You saw Aaron Rodgers, which there was so much ridiculous criticism of Rodgers. Of, oh, is he not a real leader? Shannon Sharp's like, oh, he's always blaming someone else, which is, I mean, yeah, people could say I'm a homer, but that that's not true. And anyone that has followed Aaron Rodgers knows that's not true at all. But, um yeah, so he was awesome against a great Houston defense that really couldn't pressure the Packers, which has been a huge problem all year, is the pass protection. And then on defense, we got a lot of pressure on Matt Schaub. The running game wasn't really there for Houston, so, yeah, it was just a complete victory. But it's surprising that you mentioned that Houston couldn't touch Rodgers, seeing guys like yeah. J.J. Watt and yeah, yeah, Brian Cushing. Yeah, well, Cushing got injured against the, uh, the Jets, but... um. Yeah, Cushing's actually from around where I'm from, by the way. Really? Yeah. So Jersey to USC. Yep. Back Northern, to... uh, Northern Jersey. Yep. Um, BJ Raji is as well. Oh, really? Yeah, but he then went to Boston College, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I was really surprised they couldn't get any pressure because JJ Watt has been awesome. I love watching that guy play. I thought he'd be really good coming out of Wisconsin. He was really good last year, but this year he's taking it to the next level, and he really couldn't get. Get much pressure on. I mean, Rodgers also did a better job getting rid of the football, uh, either qu- making quicker decisions because a lot of times early in the year he's been holding on a little longer, and they're doing a lot of more short passes and getting the ball out quickly and had a little success running the ball too. So the Packers trying to mix it up. I said they have pretty two fairly easy games next on the schedule. They go to St. Louis and then they host the Jacksonville Jaguars. So their record's what they four and three now. No, better than that. The Packers are three and three. Three and three, so they could easily be five and three after these next two weeks, right? Uh, yes. Considering how well they've been playing, uh, I mentioned a. I guess this is a very interesting segue to see how it works. I noticed uh, Aaron Rodgers throwing a lot of passes to Greg Jennings. Wasn't in his little bed mobile or his trusty Old Spice oh, Golden those Retriever. Com- those commercials are great. Good commercials. Old Spice Champion. Good product. Actually, yes. part of. Old Spice is a. This is actually a quick sponsor plug. Hey. As uh, Love it. it's Old Spice is part of Procter and Gamble, which has a Ready You program, which is a proud sponsor of FR. 
And college students, ReadyU is a resource that provides content, experience, and solutions needed to look and feel good, excel socially, get a job, and save some money. Make sure to visit the ReadyU Facebook page to show your support. I was actually showered in body wash, deodorant, and other Procter & Gamble products, courtesy of my friend Connor Mancuso. Shout out to him. But uh, how this segue continues, as it's probably the longest segue in history, Greg Jennings of Old Spice, Old Spice to ReadyU, ReadyU back to Old Spice to Ray Lewis. Yes. Out for the season. Yes. Was it, was it a torn well, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm just, just refused. I'm not celebrating Ray Lewis getting hurt. So I was emphatically saying yes. <laughs> to the uh, long segue we had. Yes, because I was glorious. We could have gone around the National Mall with that segue. Yes. But, yes, yeah, so <laughs> for a Ravens team, and a lot of people had a lot, at least for a run in the playoffs, yeah. let alone going to the Super Bowl, now you lose your veteran linebacker. Mm. What are your takes on this? He's out for this season. A lot of soul-searching for Mr. Lewis. Could this possibly be the last time we see him on the football field? You know, I hope not, because Ray Lewis, whether you're on the whether you're a Ravens fan or not, you always got to love Ray Lewis. The passion he brings to the game of football. The fact he's just, even though still he doesn't have a lot of speed, which made him just a terrifying figure in the NFL, but now he's still just a strong, hard-line hitter, big hitter, but he's just the real thing, because people are also forgetting their uh, their top corner, Legarius Webb's also after the year, and that may be more of a bigger loss in terms of the football field, but in terms of the leadership, and he's he's the heart and soul of the Ravens, and he has been for a good fifteen years. So it really is a tough loss. This is it's still a playoff team, it's still a, a pretty good team, but I think this could really hold them back for a Super Bowl victory. But then again, you never know. Maybe this could inspire them. To possibly, because maybe he'll still be around to be that leadership presence. So it's, it, but it is tough for somebody that loves football. You always got to love Ray Lewis. So it's, it's really, it's really just, it sucks to see. Cause you hate to see anybody get hurt, especially like an all, like one of the greats of the league to get hurt like that. Hey, Seventeen years in the league. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm re- twenty years old. It really is. That's almost I'm nine. Not, yeah, and I'm 19. That's almost our entire lifetime yeah. this guy came out of the U. Part of the 80s team featured in the ESPN 30 for 30 documentary, wasn't mm. he? That's right. I believe he was. And, of course, it does not get any easier for the Ravens as they face the Houston Texans, who are just coming oh, out yeah. a butt-kicking against Flo's pack. Exactly. See, that's 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 our uh, segue, too. Not all, not, I mean, it wasn't as exciting as the Old Spice time. But, yeah. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, Houston plays Baltimore. Interesting to see how uh, Don Marcus... Yes, Donnie Martin. Avid fan of the Ravens. Has no Johnny Holiday, though. No Johnny Holiday. Johnny Holiday. Who we actually figured out is the voice of the Maryland Terrapins football well, and go. basketball. Oh, which is going around the belt right now. <laughs> hey, this look at that. Good. This is great. We're doing a good job. <laughs> I guess I have to sort of get off the beltway and the, the segue train to go back to last Monday night's football. This will be the last football game that we sort of break down and dissect from last week before we preview this and college football where we get ready to preview Tyler Tomea's 6-0 Notre Dame fighting Ooh, Irish. But yes. did you watch the Denver-San Diego game? Uh, I Honestly, I really did not. I was watching a lot of baseball. But, which we'll get to later, yeah, of course. So, but I, I do know that, because actually, fun fact, I predicted that game in my, in my NFL weekly picks, I predicted that game spot on. I My final prediction was San Diego 35, or Denver 35, San Diego 24. You can look it up. It's true. And, yeah, so it's just because San Diego got out to a big lead. 
And you're seeing that, hey, Peyton Manning is still clutch, still money when you need him to be money the most. And again, San Diego, North Turner, North Turner's just atrocious because now they, they, they're terrible in close games because he doesn't know how to coach. And now you fall apart a big lead. Uh, again, I wasn't watching the game, so what I can imagine is that what happens is that you either start to, when you have the big lead, you start to run the ball, and you're not as consistent. You try and take your foot off the gas to kill clock. And the risk is that when you do that, then the team, you're giving them more chances. And if you're not, if you don't keep your foot on the gas, then there it allows them to catch back up. And then they ended up winning by 11. So I just think Chargers, I wasn't that, unlike a lot of people, I was not high on them because I still think that North Turner does not know how to coach. And it ultimately came back to uh, haunt them. But, of course, people were a little hesitant after the great week that Peyton Manning had in week one on Monday night game. But they went down to Atlanta and sort of struggled. But he is slowly returning back to Manning-esque form, isn't he? Absolutely, yeah. And I figured it was going to be a little bit. I figured that we would see the old Manning back, but that there would be a little bit. There's sometimes he'd look great, and other times he'd struggle a little bit. And when we last saw him healthy in Indianapolis, he had one of his worst years. A lot of inter- through, I think he threw 18 interceptions. While you still paint Manning, it was shown that oh maybe he's not the elite that he is. He's still a great quarterback, but I wouldn't say he's the best quarterback in the NFL. I don't think you'll find a lot of people that are arguing that either. So, Brian, of course, the Broncos now play the New Orleans Saints, who are having a dismal year nonetheless. But, um, yeah, let's go to – you said you mentioned you were talking about baseball. We'll segue to baseball. The Detroit Tigers, as last week we talked about uh, Miguel Cabrera's triple crown. Uh, Yeah. How that worked out. And, of course, a combination of him playing very well, Prince Fielder, the whole crew, and Justin Verlander – what was, the, what was the stat Dylan Choke gave last night on SportsZone? 22 strikeouts in two series? Uh, I think so. I was really, the, I, the most. I really don't think uh, In the postseason by a Tigers. Or most in the postseason, apparently, yeah. by a pitcher. Yeah, I mean, you know, Justin Verlander, he's the best pitcher in baseball right now. He is just absolutely dominant. That's why I think he should win the Cy Young this year. And while it, as a year, he wasn't as dominant as it was last year, because last year it was awesome. But when he won the MVP. That was one of the early advocates. Yeah, why can't a pitcher win MVP if he's still the best player? And so, yeah, he's the best pitcher. And I, and I want to give a shout-out right now. Go I know who's actually listening right now, all the way from San Luis Obispo, California, a good friend of mine at Cal Poly. Okay. Big baseball fan James Donahue listening to the program. Shout-out to him. Here we go, from D.C. to the Bay. How about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's really not the Bay Area. It's kind of like... That weird area between the Bay Area and uh, SoCal, so it's kind of crappy, California. Is it, is it north or south of uh, it's, Sonoma? Uh, I'll get some good bearings. She's an NASCAR track. Uh, I would say south of Sonoma, because Sonoma's Napa Valley. That's closer to the Bay Area, I believe. I, I really don't know California geography that well. I know <laughs> if my mom's listening, which I'm pretty sure she isn't. But if she was... Oh, uh, Mrs. Flo, kill on the airwaves. She's from Southern California, so uh-huh. there you go. We'll actually have a little analogy for you uh, SoCal listeners later mm. in the show when we talk about uh, the Red Bull Stratos program. Yes. But back to baseball, Tigers sweep, go to the World Series, leave the Yankees in the dust. Your Yankees, Flo, what happened to them? I mean, the Yankees, 
it's just been so disappointing because the offense, it really wasn't there against Baltimore, but neither was Baltimore's offense. And the pitching was great. And it's a shame because the offense, which was the strength, the strength of our team, it's been the strength of our team for as long as I can remember, is that the offense fell apart and nobody could get ahead. Everyone's blaming Alex Rodriguez and he was terrible. But Robinson Cano was atrocious this series. He had he, at one point he went over thirty nine, really, uh, go, including the L, uh, LDS, which he was just atrocious. Curtis Granderson was terrible. Um, Nick Swisher, he he was awful. He couldn't get a hit. He'll probably be gone. And the offense batted below the Mendoza line. It was just so frustrating because the pitching has been good. We've gotten good pitching, save for last night, where CC Smith got roughed up a little bit. But I think the team, at that point, really, you know, realized, yeah, we're done. Our offense has been atrocious. And but I don't want to focus enough on the uh, Yankees because the Tigers have been awesome this series. Exactly. And not their offense has their offense hasn't been great, but when they needed to, unlike the Yankees, they've put in runners in scoring position. And they're scoring runs late in games. Or it's more like the mid to late part of games. The Yankees didn't score any runs before the seventh inning this year. Or not not this year. That'd be ridiculous. This, see, this series, which is not good. Because then you're putting your pitchers in holes. Now, if Detroit got on the board early, then the pitchers were pitching from a hole. And you weren't helping them out and giving them run support. So it's a mess. But you know what? Ultimately, we were the sec- best record in the AL. And we had we can't went to the ALCS for another year. Is it frustrating as a Yankees fan? I mean, you do feel entitled. Yeah, we should. We got all this huge payroll. We should get to win the World Series every year. But like, if you look at the last few years of Joe Torre, when we weren't even getting out of the LDS. So you, I know people are always gonna say, "Oh, fire Girardi, fire Girardi." He's done a good job. Though. I like Girardi. I mean, he's frustrating at times, but I genuinely think he's a pretty good manager. And Go, and I always hate when people look at this, and you can talk about people in college, Texas, Oklahoma. When you want to fire a guy and you feel entitled that you're going to be a championship team, the next guy may not be great. Because Joe Torrey was awesome. But in the last few years, we weren't getting out of the LDS. Joe Torrey is getting us to the LCS. He's won a World Series, but not in a few years. So it's just people get to – when you taste success, it's addictive. You want to taste some more. And when you taste it and then you get close but not quite there, you get frustrated. And you think, oh, well, how do we get there? And it obviously is usually the coach and the manager. So I I hope – I don't think Joe Girardi gets fired because Brian Cashman's a great GM. I don't think Girardi gets fired, and I hope he doesn't. So that's the bottom line. But I don't think he will. So it's a good thing. What are your thoughts on your boy Alex Rodriguez? Uh, you you broke the story last night that Keith Overman tweeted or yeah, or I, I didn't really break it. It had been out for a few days. Breaking in this vicinity, I, I was surprised. I thought I thought the story was complete nonsense that Miami would be looking to possibly trade for him, or if the Yankees ate a lot of a salary, which actually kind of makes sense because he has such a large salary, and teams aren't going to want to pay for it, obviously. But I think that. A-Rod could very well, if we can get something for him, I think he could be gone because people are getting tired with all the charades where he was hitting on the fan during the game, which really I don't care because that probably happens all the time. 
you know, all kinds of weird stuff during games, but it's because it's A-Rod's a big story. And he just doesn't have – isn't the same self. Like, he had a decent year, but he wasn't what he used to be. And I know people like morons like Donald Trump, like, ah, well, he's terrible with other Jews, which I don't really think is true. But I believe that he could very well be out. I mean, you are tired with all the antics. But uh, you look at those numbers. You did bad. 272 was hurt a lot of year. Didn't have 20 home runs. But he wasn't awful. I mean, he was awful in the postseason, a lot of strikeouts. But the whole lineup was awful. So I'm, I think probably you'll see him elsewhere. Now, he may need to change the scenery, which you see a lot of guys. Possibly. So he's 37 years old? Yeah, that's surprising. Apparently he's older than Derek Jeter. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty surprising. And, of course, you mentioned this year's stats, uh, 272, 18 home runs, 15. Actually, no, he, wait, he's really older than Jeter? Because Jeter came up with the Yankees in 95. I mean, I don't know. Hey, a started in 94, though. Oh, did he really? Oh, for some reason I thought he hadn't. I don't know. Well, taking a look at his stats, though, I think pretty much everything has gone down. It's Batting average is worse. His RBIs are worse. Mm-hmm. I think maybe his home runs have gone up a little, but yeah. I think it is time for him to go. See how long? He's been at the Yankees since 2004. Yeah, I, re- I remember that whole thing with him possibly to the Red Sox, and it's definitely been an up-and-down tenure with A-Rod. We got we were frustrated early. He wasn't clutch, and he got a little bit clutch, but not, uh, you know, like, like, he wasn't turning into Mr. October. But he gave us some great years, and he was a big part of that team that won the World Series. So, it will be, if it is the end for Alex Rodriguez with the team, you know, it's it's just been a real odd, bizarre tenure. But that's kind of how baseball works in New York City. Especially if we got that big of a payroll. That's I mean, great. I'd like to see him get out of Miami. Because they still have Jose Reyes. They still have uh, Carlos Perez. Do they? Perez? No. The guy from the... Uh, Astros. Oh, uh, Carlos Lee? Yes. Who's Carlos Perez? Uh, I don't know. He's my cousin, according to Eric Colgan. Oh, Jesus. Um, Who does not look like his uh, brother, by the way. <laughs> uh, I think Carlos Lee has, uh, so far, a pretty decent pitching staff. Ozzy Guillen and Alex Rodriguez would be an interesting pairing. Yeah, Ozzy Guillen may be gone. Potentially, there are rumors, because he was just a mess this year. Cash or comes. Yeah, but Alex Rodriguez does have lineage. I believe he is, uh, I think he may be Dominican. So, you know, go down to South Florida, that could be an interesting fit. I think that Ozzie could very well be axed, but he hasn't been axed yet. So, uh, so his career definitely could be on the ropes as well as the Yankee season is gone. But you know, the season is not done is the Cardinals and the Giants. Who Tyler Tamea says they are going the Giants are going to win three straight. Yeah, yeah, I'm not buying that. I don't <laughs> think that's good. I think he's just trying to say do that to save face because you know Tyler Tamea is wrong a lot. Uh, so and he tries to you know cover himself and making points that will make it sound like in the right will be in. And you know what, I was wrong with the Giants. I picked the Giants, but you know what, I, unlike Tyler Tamea, I'll admit when I'm wrong. And yeah, so the Cardinals, we're, we're starting to see it again. This team, they just sneak into the playoffs, and now they're going to do another run, and now they're going to go to the World Series, and the same thing happened in 2006, and they played the t- Tigers. Same thing happened last year. So it's just, no, not 06, 08. Was it 08? I don't know. Um, Everybody agree with this a freaking idiot. But, uh, yeah, it looks like the Cardinals, 
are going to do it again. They're get, their offense was great last night. They blew the doors off the They're place. They won 8-1, didn't they? Yeah. Thrashing. What is making this team so good? Uh, I just feel like, you know, they have the confidence. When it's the postseason, the team's got a lot of good veteran guys, a lot of key role players, and they just, for some reason, when the the, uh, the calendar strikes into October, they just know how to get it done. I, I can't really explain it because I don't really think they're that good. I don't think they're <laughs> the best team in the NL. I they shouldn't even be in the playoffs. Yeah. I'm going to so, go on a quick I, rant. I, I hate this. I was talking to you last night when we were at the tavern with you and me and Tyler Samantha that NBA is the only sport, a professional sport, where you actually have a solid idea on who is going to at least be in the Final Four and or the Finals. Because baseball, it teams randomly turn it on in October. Yeah. Even NASCAR's chase, especially how the system is rigged, how Jeff Gordon falls from 6th to 10th with a mediocre finish yeah. at Charlotte. Yeah, in case you haven't noticed, he's a big Jeff Gordon fan. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. I know. As I don't think Driver 5 is this year, although yeah. my heart is weeping at that sight. Like hey, but you know what? It was a great rally for him to get exactly. in the shape. So that's really, he put himself in a position. So the more he does well, the more he'll possibly stay in the series and not retire, as the yeah. rumors are he saying. I feel like Clint Boyer has a good shot, though. Uh, he does. I'm, Dave I'm Carrello surprised. I'm that. I don't know how we turned into NASCAR. NASCAR <laughs> Playoffs. So the NFL, the Giants, the Giants easily should have been the Cowboys' uh, division to win. Giants end up beating the Cowboys in the second to last game of the season. Mm, last, last game, game. of the season, rolled into the playoffs with a wild card, ended up beating the Patriots. Same goes for baseball because, as Flo was saying, they shouldn't even be in the playoffs yeah. because of this rule change. Because I don't like, I don't like this rule change. I really don't like the wild card in general. I'm more of a traditionalist. If you, if you have to win a Super Bowl or win a championship with the name Wild Card, you shouldn't be a champion. There's no no champions are wild. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about that. I wouldn't go that far. I just think with baseball, and I just never really liked the Wild Card because I think that it was a big. I think they really did it because not only really because when they add, were adding more teams, but also the Bud Selig wrestled control of Major League Baseball in the mid '90s, which he did. He was owner of the Brewers. And I think they really did that to allow more teams a chance. But because I really don't, uh, it's a story for another day. Because I don't, I can go for a rant on it for a while. And I don't want to, I don't want to do that to the viewers, listeners, the, the listeners. We need, get, we need to get webcam in here. That would be, that'd be. Scary. Shout out to the fans though. We actually possibly be in the tavern next week. Have our first that ever be, live that would show. Be great. Oh, so I looking forward to that. But, uh, of course, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk Lance Armstrong, college football about Tyler Tomatoes, 6 and Notre Dame fighting Irish, and uh, Puck Daddy joins us here on FNAC Radio, but you're listening to FR on blogtalkradio.com.
about you day and night. It's only right to think about the girl you love. And welcome back to Fanatic Radio here on blogtalkradio.com. I'm Gardner, along with Notorious Ben Florence, co-author and creator of dflow360.com. Make sure to check that out, please. That's some good content on it. How about the cause? Always helping out the cause here on dflow360. And once again, go to facebook.com slash fanaticradio to like the page. Follow Flow on Twitter at bflow360. Myself at fanaticradio.mg. Also, I don't remember Jacqueline Cassell, one of our former guests' Twitter handles, but I'm sure you can find her on Twitter. I don't think Jacqueline Cassell is a very hard name to find. Shout out to her, though. She is currently in Chicago going to go see the U.S. Women's National Team take on Germany at Soldier Field. There we go. I'm very surprised they actually uh, hosted. uh, It's either that or at Toyota Park, I said, just outside of Uh, Chicago. But it's still impressive. Uh, Women's National Team still generating a lot of interest. I love it. Speaking yeah. of soccer, though, you mentioned during the break that myself and the notorious Tyler Tomei will be on the call for this Saturday's Phil Reeves game as the American University men's soccer team, who's currently first in the Patriot League yes. in the standings with eight points, takes on Navy midshipmen. Are you going to go see that game? Uh, I Hopefully I will. I... Um, yeah, I mean, I don't see why I won. I don't... I, don't, I, I ain't got anything going on over the weekend, but... Who knows? Hope so. All right, so that's at 1 p.m. Reeves Field, free dominoes, Robex, all the nine yards. Tell my roommate did not know what that saying was. I had to <laughs> explain it to him the other day. Shout out uh, to Jose Saldana. Yeah. Who taught me what uh, Se La Perdió means in soccer when a guy misses a wide open shot. It's saying, like, oh, he lost it. Like, uh, the announcer always screams it out. <laughs> but uh, speaking there of screaming it out, I'm pretty sure that's what the NHL Players Association is doing as mm. they're struggling to try to I find. Trying to find a contract negotiation to end this lockout. But um, Tyler Tomei and I got the prestigious honor of gracing Greg Wyshynski, a.k.a. Puck Daddy, in our yes. Donald Marcus class on Tuesday. Great blog, great teacher. And a uh, quick little bio blast of him. Here's what Mr. Wyshynski had to say, or Mr. Daddy, as we like to call him on this show. Oh, God. About what he said about is the, how he originally got the blog started and how he ended up getting at Yahoo as one of the pretty major sources of hockey information. Absolutely. As well as his thoughts on the recently released 50-50 proposal, proposal which Bevo will explain in depth, on how it did not work, apparently, or how people didn't agree with it. Yeah, there was a... Uh, yeah, it didn't <laughs> go out well. They they wanted to... Uh, there was more discussion, and then talked ended up breaking up. I got hired at Yahoo in 2008. We got hired in the first week of the playoffs. Hit the ground running. Uh, and how many years have you been doing uh, I had I worked in my newspaper for nine years, and I'd say I probably started writing hockey on the side around like 2004, 2003, somewhere around there. I had like a weekly column that I did for a bunch of websites, and then it kind of just focused more on hockey after a while. I mean, that just sort of became a side gig. Found some places I could write, and then. So I was covering high school sports for the uh, the weekly newspaper, and then on the side I was writing hockey, and then that kind of just sort of took off after a while. So I actually worked for a site called uh, AOL Fan House, which is now dead, but you might remember from back in the day. And then um, after that, I worked for Deadspin for six months writing hockey, back when Will Leach was the editor. And there was every every morning there was a basketball column and a hockey column. It remains the single most challenging writing gig I ever had because. 
you know, you know inherently that the audience you're writing for is smarter than you and also funnier than you. So you have to kind of go in, kind of planting seeds for them to be funny off of what you write. It's a very, very challenging gig, and anybody who writes that site is a genius. Uh, and then I actually got hired a guy who off of the dead things, and I had to decide whether I wanted to stay in my newspaper or go digital, and I decided to go digital. At a time in, in 2008 when it wasn't necessarily like the most obvious decision, it was kind of a risk. Like I'm comfortable in a newspaper, right? You get to sit in the newsroom instead of sitting home with a bunch of cats But I, I took the leap. But then the cool thing about Yahoo also is that like it was at a time when they were building up their block network with a lot of different sites. like. And um, I had to convince them to hire me full time because oh, okay. in hockey you talk, right? So like, once they decided to do that, then we're in business and, and we went from there. As much as he loved the name, the name wasn't mine. When I got hired, the name of the blog was the NHL Experts Blog, which to this day I kind of miss because it's so <laughs> egotistical and wonderful to just throw it out there. Um, but the name was uh, the name was, was developed uh, by, by myself and by the people at Yahoo and and So they have the name. Like if I ever leave Yahoo, I'll have to become like Stick Father or something. <laughs> um, but the the craziest thing about the name of the blog is the fact that like you know when you name your blog something sort of obtuse. What was the name of the Bullets blog? Who here? Bullets Forever. Bullets Forever. Okay, when that cat goes on the radio, no one is calling him Bullets Forever. When I go on the radio, people call me Fuck Daddy. And, and for like a year, I tried to pull it off where it's like, you know, it's like Hootie and the Blowfish. Like, guy's not named Hootie, he's named the band. But they're going to call him Hootie anyway, right? So it's like, uh, I just gave up the fight. I'm like, you can call me Fuck Daddy, it's fine. And now people just, you know, shorten it to Puck and whatever. Whatever it's going to be. Put me on the radio. <laughs> yeah, today was a very eventful day. Uh, we're locked out. There's nothing to cover. And then the NHL came out with a pretty like impressive proposal to try to end the lockout today. So it's yeah, a pretty big story. So I had to bang up, um, prospects, I think. It's, it's something they're going to be able to negotiate off of. Like all, all the players I talked to today are like positive about it. And the, the NHL had a deal to make the entire time in their back pocket. It was just a matter of whether or not they wanted to put it out there soon or later, or wait until the players make a proposal. So this is something they've been planning on, and 50-50 um, makes sense. I mean, 50-50 is where the NBA and the, and the NFL pretty much went, and the players knew it was going to be 50-50. It was just a matter of the other details. So there's, like, restrictions on contracts now, the whole bit. So, But it's it's positive, man. Like, it's more positive than I thought we'd be at the end of, might even at the end of October. I thought, I, I thought this thing goes on until Christmas, but... They're being proactive about it. Doesn't mean it's going to get the deal done, but at least it kind of brings, I think, the negotiation, like everybody put on their big boy pants today and decided to actually talk about shit that matters instead of like nibbling around the corners. So we're kind of People, what are your thoughts on the NHL lockout? Are you ever going to get this resolved? Apparently they announced today they're canceling all games until November 1st. Yeah. Um, I think ultimately there's going to get, a deal is going to get done. I think that the season will probably start Oh, maybe could very well end up starting with the Winter Classic, and I think that's the the not the worst case. The worst case scenario is obviously yeah. there's no season. Yeah. But uh, Puck Daddy was saying that that'd be a, a good base. Yeah, that'd be cool. That's to sort start. of their marquee event. Yeah, but in the hope they don't try and shoe more horn as many games as the NBA did during that uh, that time after the because uh, they start on Christmas Day. So this is a week later than that, but um. I really think our deal's going to get done. And I said this on the show last night. I'm sure our friends on the uh, Ice Time 
say we're surprised. I actually brought some analysis, even though I always do. They're just, but um, just under the rug. Yeah, it's yeah. unappreciative of your work. Absolutely. <laughs> so here's my theory on it. The reason why. The reason why that um, the last lockout happened is because the the players' union was a complete mess. They wanted to get tough, but their organization was a disaster, and they were completely all over the place. So then, what ended up happening? The NHL got everything they wanted. Now, in this negotiation, the players' union they brought in Donald Fear, who ran the MLB Players Association for a long time. And he infamously ran, or famously ran it during the MLB and during the strike. And so they knew they wanted to get a guy that was tough and that would not back down. That's what they're getting right now. And you see what happened with the offer. The NHL came back to the table with an offer 50-50. Even though talks didn't really work, ended up not being fruitful, ultimately I think the NHL realized, all right, we got to get something done because we're going to lose all this momentum that we had. We're this is the first year of a TV deal with NBC, so I really feel that the NHL has a. I think they feel that they have the pressure on them rather than on the players. So I think the players are willing to take this all the way, take and take it for a whole lose a whole season if they're willing to get what they feel is right. I'm gonna go from Puck Daddy's opinion to another personal friend of mine. He is our Dallas Stars NHL expert live via Columbia, Missouri. Actually, uh. Flo has some uh, buddies at Columbia, Missouri. Zach Crowley is on the line right now. I do. Welcome to the show. You're on Fanatic Radio. Hey, how y'all doing? We're doing well. We're holding the fort down in Washington, D.C. How's everything in Columbia, Missouri? It's going very well. Thank you very much. Now, do you agree with Flo, or I guess, what are your initial thoughts on the NHL lockout? Is it as bad as it seems? Well, I was watching the Gary Bettman interview earlier uh and it was, he said it was not looking good. They had, you heard today that they uh, cut all NHL games through November 1st. That's uh, 135 games cut already. And right now their next deadline, their next big deadline coming up is November 20th, which is the last day that they can save the Winter Classic, which is going to be in Michigan, uh, which will be Detroit versus Toronto. Uh, right now I think best-case scenario is, just any sort of season, I highly doubt right now that there is going to be an 82-game season. That is what uh, Gary Bettman was optimistic about when he had his new 50-50 deal on Tuesday. Uh, obviously, he got less optimistic as the NHLPA brought up their three separate counter deals on Thursday, yesterday. And now it's looking like any season would be the best-case scenario. I feel like a 50-50 is the best situation you can get to if you're both players or owners. What is keeping both sides from, I guess, nudging and sort of getting an agreement settled? Well, I think the players are really trying to hold out for what they think is their fair share. All of their counter-arguments, uh, even Gary Bettman said, none of them resulted in a really fair 50-50. You know, they said, oh, it would eventually decline down to 50-50, but even with their third deal where they said, okay, we'll do your 50-50, if the owners pay 13%, which is about $650 million, uh, the owners definitely disagree with that, and I think the players think that's what's fair. And they're just – Gary Bettman said they're not even speaking the same language right now, and I think uh, because they want just these separate deals, it's not really going to work out for a while unless somebody makes a pretty drastic change. 
So what do you, so if you were the I guess if you were sort of running these organ these meetings and everything and uh, those arbitration, how would you, Zach Fraley, the one and only, sort of sort everything out, or what needs to be done? Well, I think you need to find some sort of uh, middle ground, as difficult as that is, and I think that's what they've been trying to do. But it's just I think both player both the players and the owners are holding out for too much. Uh, they, I think both of them do know what's at stake here. I mean, the fans are getting restless. The people that depend on the NHL for income are definitely getting restless. And I think there needs to be some sort of agreement, even if you reduce the length of the CBA to, you know, three years. If you make it much shorter than the CBAs have uh, traditionally been, you have to find at least some temporary middle ground and then start the season back up, and then once the players and the fans are happy that the season is back up, then you can kind of talk on the side and say, okay, well, we have this amount of time. How can we sort of find some common ground so that when this one expires, we don't have this same problem? All right, we'll get you out of here on this, Zach. Do you think the NHL will make it in time for the Winter Classic, or is it going to only get worse from here? Well, it's going to be tough. Batman definitely said he was not optimistic. Uh, the players, although they were presenting counter-arguments, really seem against the 50-50 deal. They really want some higher cut of revenue than the owners. And I think unless somebody, like I said, makes a drastic shift one way or the other, then I, I think the Winter Classic uh, might not happen this year. How are the Stars looking this year, though? Are you very optimistic about this team? They were under new management last year under that first full season. Now it seems like they could possibly get better. Yes. Tom Gillardi is, uh, I think, making some great changes for this team. We made some of the biggest off-season moves that we've made in a long while. We signed 40-year-old Ray Whitney to a two-year, $9 million deal. Uh, he had 77 points with Phoenix last season. Uh, so although he's one of the oldest guys in the NHL right now, he is still very active. He's still a definite playmaker. Uh, we signed Aaron Rome. We have uh, we've made a couple of huge moves. We've lost a few guys. We lost Sheldon Surrey. Uh We definitely lost Steve Ott, which just broke my heart. I love Otter, um, but I think that we brought on some real offensive talent, and we have the goaltending to back it up in Carl Ledman. So if the season does get back, I think we might make it to the playoffs for the first time in five six seasons. Only time will tell, but once again, we thank Zach Fraley, our uh, Dallas Stars NHL expert via Columbia, Missouri. Uh, you stay, uh, make sure you stay uh, in touch with the NHL and keep us posted if anything else comes up. Thanks for having us on the show. Thanks, Michael. So uh, not very optimistic is the NHL camp. Yeah. So uh, now it's time to get to something that Flo and I were looking forward to all week. On uh, Sunday, history was made, I think it was three times? Yes. The fans watching, exactly, uh, basically in short, in layman's term, a guy went up in a hot air balloon all the way to the edge of the stratosphere, jumped, and actually stuck the landing. Yep. No other than Felix Bumgarner, and Flo and I had special access to his press conference and his thoughts after the historic, what was it, 24-mile descent? Uh... Yeah, or 24, 20, I think it was 24, it was 127,000 feet. And they yeah. said they thought a hun- the balloon would level at 120,000, then they thought 125,000, it kept on going 127. Well, first of all, these are some mind-blowing numbers, but I couldn't have done it without my team because you're only as good as your team is, and 
I want to say thank you to everybody who was joining my dream. And let me tell you, when I was standing there um, on top of the world, you become so humble. You do not think about breaking records anymore. You do not think about um, gaining scientific data. The only thing that you want is you want to come back alive, you know, because you do not want to die in front of your parents, your girlfriend, and all these people watching this. <laughs> this became the most important thing to me when I was standing out there. And, and what was it that you said? I said, I know the whole world is watching now, and I wish the world could see what I see. And sometimes you have to go up really high to understand how small you are. And it takes forever to go up. And then we had this drama with the face shield heating. And by the time when you're up at 127,000 feet, you're already totally exhausted, you know. But this is the moment where it still starts. So you have to perform at a, at a certain level, at a 100% level. And this was tough, believe me. I've never anticipated that it's going to be so tough. Well, it started really good because my exit was perfect. Uh, I did exactly what I was supposed to do. And then I was falling over. This is what we anticipated because we had this on, on man one and man two. And it looked like for a second I'm going to tumble two more times and then I have it under control. But for some reason, that spin became so violent over all axes and it was hard to know how to get out of that spin. Because if you're trapped in a pressure suit, normally as a skydiver you can feel the air to get a direct feedback from the air. But here you're trapped in this suit and this suit is pressurized with 3.5 PSI. So you do not feel the air. It's like swimming without touching the water. And it's hard because every time when it turns you around, you have to figure out what to do. So I was sticking my arm out, then it became worse. So I was putting my arm out on the other side, then it became less. So I was fighting all the way down to regain control because I wanted to break the speed of sound. And I had it. I, it. I don't know, after how many seconds I could feel air was building up and then I had it. Yeah, he was ended up going, what, 830 miles an hour? Yeah. Shattered the speed of sound. Yeah, it's unbelievable. What were your initial thoughts on that? Because I was telling, I forgot who I was telling you, I think it was my dad and my brother the other day, that this is probably something very rare that we're going to see. And I, I'm guessing in our generation alone, mm -hmm. a guy is going to break uh, three world records in one day doing something that many people have tried and ultimately failed. Yeah, and... Definitely, you never really seen anybody with uh, quite a promotion, quite a setup like this. Because the previous record was held by a guy that wasn't doing this for, well, not quite recreation or just thrilled or breaking records, but previous guy who, if you saw the live stream or you were watching live on Discovery Channel, a guy by the name of Joe Kittinger. He was, uh, he was in the Air Force. And what he was, that he had the previous record jump, it might have been like, I don't know, 108,000 feet, something like that, really. Uh, and so he was doing it to test uh, how well uh, parachutes, parachutes will work uh, at such high altitudes for pilots in airplanes. And I believe he did that in the late 50s. So, I think so, yeah, because it was the 60th anniversary of the last time he did it. Well, it was, I think it might have been the 60th anniversary of when Chuck Yeager was also a legend in the He's the first person to go at supersonic speed. So, and that was a big breakthrough as well. So, that was that goes way back into, like, the early days of NASA. Because looking at, looking at these, uh, his entire trip back to Earth was 9 minutes, 9 seconds. And he fell, what, 24 miles, 128,000 feet? Yeah. Now, I calculated that the other day. Mm -hmm. And 24 miles, to our L.A. fans out there, that is basically from Long Beach to Los Angeles. Okay. 
or did, did Texas natives, people from my side of the neck of the woods, it is from Dallas to the airport. My house to the airport, twenty about 24, 23 miles. I was just staggering to think that's how, that's where space is. Yeah. Space is a trip. Going from Earth, to, from where we are in the studio to space is a trip from Long Beach to Los Angeles. And then he's going at a speed of 833 miles an hour, which apparently uh, NASCAR, some of the tracks calculated that. You could get a lap time around Bristol in two seconds, that speed. You want to, that's basically 24 miles. That's oh, kind of like if you go as the crow flies uh, from my house to New York City. Exactly. So, how, how, so uh, where uh, in New Jersey are you? South, north? No, well, obviously, northern New Jersey. Very close to the New York state border. So, I'm west of New York. If you go kind of straight line east, you're in Yonkers, and then a little further south is New York. So, it's about, I'd say, 24 miles. I'm, I pulled up a Google map, and it's actually New York side, uh, lower west side. But, uh, yeah, so about 24. It's probably one of the coolest things I've ever watched. And uh, I watched it on B-Flow's website, too. There you go. How did you end up doing that, getting the live stream? Well, because it was on... Uh, it was on. It was broadcast on YouTube. And YouTube made the video embeddable, so you can put the live stream anywhere. You can put it on news sites. You can put it anywhere. So I put it on my blog. I'm like, oh, I'll get some cheap page views. And I got a lot of views out of it. It was something awesome. So. Yeah, apparently... The Red Bull site alone had 8 million, and then YouTube had reported 52 million views. I think that's more views in a day than the uh, than Obama's State of the Union address. Uh, probably. That's amazing. It's because <laughs> apparently that's probably never going to happen, at least in our lifetime, unless he possibly does it again. Uh-huh. But were you surprised how it all worked, even after it was called off because of bad weather? Um. Yeah, because initially they called off. I think it might have been either too cloudy or I don't know what. Whether it was a few days before, but um, yeah. So it's just what was the question again? I completely spaced. Are you amazed at how like how all of it came together and nothing went wrong? Yeah, you really are. I mean, you you think about that. There's all this preparation they prepared about this. I think this was originally going to happen uh, last year, but then there was a lawsuit about it. someone's like, "Oh, you stole our idea." Which of course you're usually because people will sue for anything, <laughs> and. And so you, you think about it, there was so much preparation, but you always think there's one little thing that could go wrong and the guy's dead. Exactly. I mean, you wouldn't have saw it because there was a 20-second uh, delay, obviously, because they're not, they don't want people to, you know, die on national TV because, uh, you know, they're not stupid. Not like Fox News. Yeah. Well, that was kind of a separate case, but... Uh, we digress. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right. And uh, now we'll finish up the show with three quick things. First one being, you mentioned that this week is a trap game, Notre Dame. Yep. Alex made a 6-0 Notre Dame against BYU before they take on the Oklahoma Sooners, mm-hmm. who are coming up a pretty hearty victory over the Texas Longhorns in the Red River Shootout. Shout out to the Dallas fans there. Sort of a home game for myself. I've been to it only once. There you go. Been to the state for multiple times. Quick shout out, though. The giant Big Tex statue burned to the ground today. Did it really? 60 years old. Are you How do you know Big Tex? No, well, I've heard about it. Was it the Texas State Fair? Exactly. Yeah, I think I've heard about it's the it. The largest pair of jeans on a. Oh yeah, you know I, I no yeah, idea I how tall he was. Yeah. Electrical fire burned wow. to the ground today. All was left that's, is sort of the uh, chicken wire skeletal thing of big tech. Hope they can build a new one though, because that is for all, for all of us Texas people out there. That's a iconic figure. In the state alone, it's in the airports and billboards, the state fair where all the fried food is. Sad for that. 
totally lost my train of thought. No, yes. It beat Oklahoma beat Texas. Yep. Why is this a trap game for Notre Dame? Uh, I think it's a trap game for Notre Dame because they're coming off a big win against Stanford. And you see this, and then they have a big game next week against Oklahoma. That's going to be a it's gonna be game day. It's going to be dandy. And it's going to be in prime time. And so it's a huge game. It's going to be a huge statement game for Notre Dame. You know, they've had some statement games there. And here's the thing, though. Notre Dame struggles to score. Like, their defense is awesome. They've only scored more than 20 points once in a game this year. That was against Navy when they dropped 50, and Navy's awful. But uh, in BYU, they can't. They're they're not very good offensively. They have a very good defense themselves. So I take Notre Dame, but it it will be closer than people may think. All right, that game's Saturday on NBC. Yep, Saturday afternoon. So we, uh, hopefully we'll get Tyler Tomei on the show next week to talk uh, Oklahoma, Notre Dame, because OU could possibly be facing a seven and O Fighting Irish team, uh-huh. especially now that Eric Goldstein has been cleared after suffering concussion. In last week's win against Stanford. Very good football game, by the way. But uh, now it's, I'm not excited, but it's something I've been wanting to talk about on the show the entire week. On Wednesday, it was announced that Nike and Lance Armstrong were parting ways. Only the second athlete in the, the company's history to terminate a contract. The other one was Michael Vick. Do you know much about the whole situation of his contract losses and everything, Bifla? And also, what are your thoughts on it? Um, I think it's, you know, you see a lot. Almost all of his companies or the sponsors. But it was are, Trek Gyro. Yeah. Well, the helmet's the helmet company. Mm-hmm. Trek's the bike company. Okay. Uh, FRS Energy, which yeah. is the ones that sponsored Tim Tebow as well. Radio Shack says they're not going to renew a contract with him, which is very sad because that had their headquarters in Fort Worth. Yeah. Local uh, sponsor for Lance Armstrong. He sponsored his cycling team when he came back. Yeah, that's right. Coming out of retirement. And uh, Anheuser Busch because they sponsored him yeah. with Mega Love Ultra. Yep. And now Nike, so almost $150 million of endorsement gone in less than 20, 40, 24, 48 hours. What are your whole thoughts on this? Um, I think you're definitely looking at... I feel like corporate America is really just taking a huge shot at I agree. a guy with not a lot of answers. But um, I think ultimately they look at it in a study of his Q rating, and now he's not a very marketable person because he basically, in a way, kind of admitted that he cheated it. Stop fighting the allegations, and so people are na- will naturally think that, oh, well, then you're admitting guilt if you're not going to fight it anymore. And and I think that's debatable. I kind of lean toward yes. But uh, I think that they realize, I mean, he's tainted by as a cheater, and he was such a natural hero. But I see, you see a lot of arguments saying, like, oh, well, what about dropping sponsorship from guys like A-Rod that use steroids and stuff like that? And he is say what you want about him using steroids, but he did, he is such a great success story, coming back from the three types of cancer and coming back and winning the Tour de France seven times. So, seven straight times as well. Seven straight times, which is incredibly hard. I mean, everyone, I mean, let's just be frank, everyone dopes in cycling. I mean, every, we, we all know that. It's a very tainted sport. Yeah. Uh, Alberto Constador was stripped of his title. Floyd Landis was stripped of his title. Yeah, I remember the whole Floyd Landis. Multiple thing. others stripped as well. I feel like this guy is just caught in a bad situation. I guess apparently saying that I'm tired and don't want to fight the judicial system is a, is the new say way of saying I am guilty, which is not true. Cause they, because you think about it, 7, 10, 15 plus years of cycling did not fail a single drug test. Mm-hmm. Is, a, is a constant argument I made in my sports marketing class on Wednesday, which I got 
pretty iffy uh, remarks from my classmates, except for this one guy named Andrew, who's president of the golf team here at American. Was not wearing, Andrew Hirsch, though. Not DJ Andrew Hirsch, but he's wearing a Livestrong sweatshirt, too, is staying by me as well. I don't know, I think it's just sad how, growing up as a kid, uh, and for the young viewers, for the old viewers out there, you remember a channel called the Outdoor Living Network. Yep, turned into that. Turned into Versus, which is now part of NBC Sportsnet. Always would televise the Tour de France. Yeah, they, they that was their whole that was the whole reason why people would watch an hour. The Tour de France. Exactly. I remember ta- my dad and I would watch these through the month of July because Bastille Day is in July, and that was always a big thing when Tour de France would go through. Yeah. And of course, being a '90s baby, who is the main figurehead. From about 96 to the 21st century, no other than Lance Armstrong seeing his fights with Ivan Basso, with Jan Ulrich, winning the prologues, the titles, going around the Champs-Élysées, past the Arc de Triomphe. That's something that's just a memory that's always been ingrained. Even saying that he's probably one of the most successful athletes of all time in terms of the training and the amount of going 20, 25 days of going through the Pyrenees, the Alps, countrysides of France. To say he has not failed a drug test and to know that you mentioned plus three types of cancer fought and currently now, knock on wood, defeated, it's amazing. You know, he is truly, for me, he's a role model regardless. Regardless of his marriage problems, regardless of the alleged doping, hero in my eyes. Someone I always look up to wore a Livestrong bracelet before my wrist grew too big and snapped. <laughs> not a very nice Livestrong zip polo, which is interesting because Nike is carrying the Livestrong brand. Well, Lance Armstrong stepped down as chairman. Yeah. Where do you think he, as a person, should go forward? This Christine Brennan of USA Today was saying that he should completely disaffiliate from Livestrong altogether. What do you, yeah, th- yeah, do you yeah, think he should go on going forward? Yeah, yeah, with uh, my crush, uh, Luke Walden. But I really think that for him to fully be uh, welcome back. Well, I don't think... Because he can't come back, because he's almost in oh, yeah. his 40s. Yeah, he, he's not going to be able to come back, but I think... It's not like Kobe Bryant, where you just keep playing and sort of rebuild his image. Yeah, so... Or like Tiger Woods, who's work, still working on it, Michael Vick. That's for getting a dog, by the way. And so I really think that with Lance Armstrong, what he should do is that... You know, he's fought it so long. I feel that he should... I think he should come clean. Comes clean says, you know what? I made a terrible mistake, and I fought it for so long, but now I've realized I can't do. It. We're we're a nation that gets second chance. He got a second chance in life. I mean, he was steroids. He did get a second chance after he got cancer. He gives people second chances. I think we will be willing to welcome him back into our good graces. But I still think people that it's hard. He's still a hero. I mean, yes, he, he probably cheated. You know. Asterisk. So let's pull a last <laughs> there. But he is still a hero. He is, no matter what, if he's there or tonight, he still came back from three types of cancer. Even if you're not a sports fan. Yeah, and he became a, a U.S. hero, a sports hero in this country. So I feel that he won't, I don't think he's going to be like, even though some of the reports said that he's going to disappear at the whole The dead spin says. But um, I really think that. You know, if he comes clean, I think ultimately we'll welcome him back. And we got the funk. Oh, well, uh, glory be, the funk's on me, Bob. Keep that funk alive. Keep that funk alive. Mm. Well, it's 1975, and we'll just be keeping the funk alive. Mm. 
segue, it leads us into a perfect critically acclaimed segment. It's time for tweets from Flo. Very uh, sentimental uh, rant by Flo. We get most. Of, we rarely get those on Sports Zone, so it's nice he got releases them out in the studio. So we're getting more of them. I'm very happy. But once again, we go to uh, Beeflo at Beeflo360 on Twitter. Take a look at his tweets throughout the week and find out what has gotten inside the minds of the notorious Ben Florence. You think that your boy from Nevada should be starting quarterback with the 49ers? I never said that. I think that I, I merely asked the question of, I still think Alex Smith is the play, but I've got no problem with him using Kaepernick more because he gives you the running quarterback edge, and he gives you a stronger arm. He's a change of pace at quarterback. I think that ultimately down the line you could very well see him maybe starting if Alex Smith continues to be not great because Alex Smith, he is a good quarterback, but I, he'll never be a great quarterback with his skill set. I really feel that way. I think I'm not trying to say anything whether Kaepernick should be starting, and I don't really know if Kaepernick's the quarterback in the future. I just think I got no problem with them. See, see what they have with Kaepernick. Use him as a change of pace. I think it's a smart idea. All right, tweet from seven hours ago. It says, I love it when you get into a question right on a midterm that everyone else seemingly got wrong and are whining about it. What was this about? Uh, well, it happened this morning and uh, after my understanding media class. We got our midterms back. How'd you do? I got a 17 out of 20, so that's an 85. Very good. That's C pretty plus? Good. That's pretty good. And there's one question where people felt, oh, there might have been confusion. I forget what the question was, but everyone was comp- like going after the teacher, like, oh, this is misleading, texture this. Oh, I and hate those people. I hate people like The that. kind of people that wear dark-rimmed glasses. Okay. <laughs> and just people like that, it's it's you know we're having a little random society right now, because people never will admit when they're wrong. It, when they, people do poorly on a test or they question, they never look at themselves, they're always looking at excuse for this. And of course, it's easy for me to say, Considering I got the question right. It was one of the few people that there we I, go. apparently they did get the question right. Even though I could be overestimated, maybe it's just a few people. But just generally, whenever people are wrong, it's never their fault. It's always the teacher, always this or that. So I've realized, you know, not a lot of accountability. So that's just my fault. In our final tweet of the day, you said, can we have WWE-style interest music for the last debate? Apparently there's one more debate left. Yes, the Monday night. Oh, Monday night debate, y'all. Yeah. Football debate. What are you gonna watch? You don't know. But um, <laughs> I really think it'd just be so cool if they had you know WWE style music, the intros, you know, with the. He'd have hail to the chief for Obama. That's sort of the thing for the yeah. president. What would Mitt Romney's song be? He could be uh, 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 the Hulk Hogan theme, whatever that was. Uh, American. After the rise, I don't know why the hell the lyrics are that, but yeah, that'd be kind of cool. But uh, yeah, just have him make it like, because you know, it got, almost got a little physical. They got, he got really close to it. Yeah, yeah. 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 he could have this as his intro. Yeah. Can you get some towels for me, please? I'm really losing a lot of blood. You sound like you're from London. Perhaps Sarah Marshall. Yeah, we're going to bring some humor about that. Yeah. But uh, those are those are Flo's rants, and that'll do it for this week's issue of. Not issue, episode of Fanatic Radio. Final yeah. thoughts, Flo. Any shout-outs you want to give? Uh, Shout-out to my good friend Jeff Falls right now at uh, Missouri, but he's flying home for the weekend. Uh, but he's having a little trouble right now in, uh, in uh, Lambert the Airport in St. Louis because there's a lot of bad weather in Fortier uh, Airport. So I think he may be in there. 
All right, and for everyone here at Fanatics Radio, we also like to thank our sponsor, Adwala, and the RedU program from Procter & Gamble, a resource that provides content, experience, and solutions needed to look, feel good, excel socially, get a job, and make money through the RedU Facebook page for more information and for your support. But for everyone in our studio, Flo and I will be in the tavern next week doing our live show. in our ongoing segment of uh, college basketball-related